All right. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. How you guys doing? Woo is not an answer. How, how are you guys? I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm Caleb Culver. Uh, this is Jared Henderson. Um, and uh, we're both on staff here at New Life Worship. And today, uh, our goal is to kind of give you an inside look into our world, uh, not because we think we're amazing and you should do exactly what we do, but just as a way of just saying, hey, this is what we know has worked for us. And if any of this can be helpful, take it. You know, I think every worship leader and worship team in this room probably has something that they do better than we do it. And we have things to learn. Um, it's just fun to be able to, to uh, talk about it. So let's just join together in prayer just as we start. Lord, we just thank you for this incredible opportunity to gather together as the body and learn from one another and have conversations to be in your presence and hear your voice. God, we just ask that you would be here with us. I ask that for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, Father, I ask for uh, creativity, God. I ask for God ideas, whether it has anything to do with what we say, say from stage or not. I ask for God ideas, Father, for worship leaders, for songwriters, for, for worship teams to be able to go and implement ideas to help lead people into the presence of God. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, it's uh, how many of you guys were uh, in there for kind of the... Similar workshop, kind of inside look into the, the, the vertical uh, churchmen. How many of you guys were in that workshop? I thought it was fantastic just hearing their hearts. I thought there was so much clarity, and I loved um, just hearing what they were passionate about and what God has spoken to them. It's fun to see the things that correlate and the things that kind of complement uh, other strengths. And today, uh, we want to kind of start off and give you a little bit of our heart and, and our vision, kind of the why behind the what, uh, why we do the things we do. Um, and then we're going to kind of move into some more practicals, and we're going to talk through what our Sunday mornings look like um, and how we uh, do everything from train volunteers to, uh, to AV tech, lights, philosophy, those, those type of uh, practical things. And then we're going to leave some time at the end. We've asked some of uh, uh, our leaders in the creative departments for, for lighting, uh, for sound, for worship to come up here, and we're going to have kind of a whole panel that you guys can ask questions with. Um, today... I'm just, uh, in worship, being able to worship with a, a room full of leaders is just such an amazing, uh, just an amazing experience. I'm, I just was thinking this morning of just how many churches were rep represented, people that lead their flocks, and we're all coming together to sing uh, and to enter into God's presence. And our role as worship teams and worship leaders is kind of this dualistic priest and prophet role that we see in scriptures. The, the priest, the, 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 the one who goes uh, before God and before the people, takes the sacrifice of the people and offers it before, the God, before God, stands in the gap um, between God and man. And then a prophet in a similar role, the prophet who interprets the voice of God and delivers it to the people. But the prophet also takes the voice of the people, collects it and gathers it and offers it it back to the Lord. Um, and that is our, our role as worship leaders. It's this priestly prophet role. And it is, uh, which those words, like when you hear priest, like it sounds great. Like it sounds like a giant, you know, white robe and you get to just minister and be in God's presence. And it just kind of looks like 
you know, you, you think of, of flowers and bunnies and happy thoughts. And, and, uh, but, you know, the, the, the Aaronic priests and uh, also the Levites, I mean, the priestly role was a bloody, messy, hard job. I mean, they were up to their elbows in blood and animal guts every day as they were taking the sacrifice of the people cutting these animals open and, and offering this as sacrifice before the Lord and then dragging the carcasses back out. I don't mean to be gory and graphic, but this is what the priestly ministry was. It was sacrificial, and it was sacrificial on the priest side of things uh, as the priest was the one who had to spend these long hours uh, uh, of working and, and doing this, this labor of love, and the people had to bring something that that cost them. It's this beautiful picture of the cost, both on, on the people and on the, and on the priestly side. And John even talked a little bit this morning about uh, Mary and, and breaking her jar of perfume. And it's such a, uh, I mean, it's the perfect picture of worship. It's what Jesus says, hey, wherever the gospel is preached, a memorial will be built to this moment. This is what response looks like. This is what worship looks like. And Mary broke open that perfume. And, and Mary was the only person in that room who broke open that costly offering. And even though everyone in the room got to enjoy the fragrance, only two people left smelling like Jesus. And uh, unfortunately, when we can get into this uh, uh, role where we, we leave the priestly ministry of sacrifice of the people and of ourselves, it can turn into just the sacrifice of the one person. And we've gotten so good, and I, and I love how good at worship we've gotten. I mean, worship sounds amazing. We have tools like Planning Center. We use tracks. We have sound advancement. We have communication. There's songs like we've never experienced. And, and worship has really gotten incredible, and it's so beautiful. But we can get caught up in, in that to the point of we make worship so good, and we're so focused on what is the exact set list that will engage the people perfectly, that, that we provide all the sacrifice and people just come and smell our fragrance. And we have this, we, we, we can slip into this entertainment culture of just come to church, stand there, and then just watch us worship and enjoy the perfume of that fragrance. And that's not the true priestly calling. The priest invites the, the sacrifice of the people, invites them to come and bring something that costs you something. We're going to do this together, and, and we have a leadership role in that, but there is a, a joint cost that happens. And so we want to use the tools that God has placed in our hands effectively to be able to do that, to do our role as priests and, and prophets. And so everything that we're talking about today we want to just be good stewards of what God has given us. And a lot of what we have is not, these are the things that just are awesome and always work. It's just, hey, this is who we have on our team. We just have certain gifts that God has given us. He's given us this person, and they have the most bizarre talent, but it's so amazing and anointed. So we set up a whole system to make it work because these are the tools, or, or I like to think of it, these are the weapons that the Lord has given us. I love to think of worship as, as a war. You know, and we are advancing the kingdom of light. And we have swords in our hand called the word of God. And we are going after the lies of the enemy every Sunday morning. When people are coming in and saying, man, I don't know if God's good. I don't know if God's faithful. I don't know if God's going to come through this time. And we sing these songs of God is faithful. God is love. And people feel it. And, the, and, and, the, and darkness is driven back and light advances. And, and so we, we, we're, we're in this war. And we just, God, the weapons that you've given us, we want to use so well and we want to use the right weapons and 
And uh, we, we, we love the, 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 the passage in, in 1 Samuel 16, which is where David kind of emerges onto the worship scene. This is kind of David's first corporate worship moment, if you will. You know, he's just been leading worship for sheep his whole life and uh, been getting pretty good. But um, Dave, or, or Saul has this distressing spirit come on him. And uh, the servants say, hey, man, I can tell you're just messed up right now. You're grumpy. There's something going on. And, and they said, you know, uh, uh, let's, let's find you a musician to come and play over you. But they say something really unique about who they went and, and found because David was young. And no doubt David was not the greatest musician of the day. Surely Israel had the Jimi Hendrix of the day who could just absolutely shred and was just the greatest musician. But, but, but this is what they said about the person they should get for David. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Now, I mean, we... Uh, one thing we can focus on is that it starts out and says, hey, he's skillful in playing. Like, this wouldn't have worked. Like, if David was all of those things and when it came down to it, I mean, you know, he just had a Takamini guitar with five strings out of tune, you know, then I'm sorry, it's great that you're a man of war and you're handsome and all, but that's just not, <laughs> that's not good enough. That's going to increase the distressing spirit. So it did start with him being skillful. But there's something that brought him into the context where he was a man of valor. He, had, he was a man of courage. The Lord was with him, and he was a man of war. Or another, another way of saying it, too, is this is a guy who knows how to use worship as a weapon. So they don't just call anyone in just to play any song because that's going to relieve the distressing spirit. They're going to call the guy they know the context to lead worship. You know, somebody, there's a tragic event that happens uh, in your church, and we have worship next Sunday, and, you know, I know what that's like uh, to lead worship after, you know, a core member of your church has, uh, has died, and, and uh, you, know, you know who they're going to ask and call? They're going to they're gonna call the person who knows how to sing the songs through the pain and lead the people into worship. For David, hey, David knows how to play the song to cast out the distressing spirit. They call in David. He looks at, at Saul, and he goes, oh, yeah, I remember when I felt that way. And David, you know, the, the music of the day would just say, yeah, you're in a bad mood. You should be in a bad mood. Here's some sad-sounding music to kind of help you feel more about your bad mood. But David says, I'm in a bad mood. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And he sings songs of hope. And the atmosphere changes in his life and, and, and the circumstances around him because he uses worship as a weapon. So he walks into the room. He looks at Saul. He goes, I know the song to play. And he begins to worship. And it says the distressing spirit left. He knew how to sing the song of deliverance. And, and most times in Scripture when the new song is talked about, it's not actually a uh, a, a new song as far as like it's, it just hasn't been heard before. The new song is almost always connected to songs of de deliverance or a song of deliverance like Miriam sang uh, after the great deliverance of the father uh, 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 that the father had over the Egyptian army. And that song, the new song, is a song of deliverance. And we bring a song of deliverance. When we come in, when, when, you know, when Joe Smith walks in, is there a Joe Smith in this room? Great, I'll use that name. <laughs> Joe Smith walks into the room, and he feels tormented, and, and he's never felt the love of God. He says, is, this God, is God even real? And he comes into church, and everything he feels is God doesn't know me, God doesn't see me, God doesn't love me. And we just start playing the simple song 
this John Mark McMillan lyric, he loves us, oh how he loves us. And the, the music plays and the spirit of the singer comes through and that person experiences the love of God in a way that he's never felt. He has been delivered. A song of deliverance has gone forth. And so that's why it's so important that we, uh, that we shepherd, that we steward, that we call higher the musicians and the volunteers that we have in our fold because we don't want to just throw anyone up on stage who can just get the job done in the skill department because the spirit of the musician and the singer comes through what they, they play. I'll, I'll use an example. I mean, you've been in the room when the worship leader carries a spirit of faith and they start to release songs about faith and what do you feel? Faith enters the room. Or if they have this love for the name of Jesus and they, when they sing songs about uh, the name of Jesus, there's something that enters the room, this honor and love for the name of Jesus. The spirit of the musician and the singer comes through what they play and what they sing. And music and worship changes the atmosphere. David knew how to play worship that changed the atmosphere of what was happening around him. And so we are literally entrusting the atmosphere of our church to our worship leaders and our volunteers. That is a big role to have. And unfortunately, we've cheapened it to the point of, uh, you know, any musician can play, and then we just have to have a great worship leader to kind of put it all together, rather than an entire team in unity that believes and is asking for the Lord to come and do something in our midst and to release an honor and a love for the name of Jesus. And so we have big, uh, we have big expectations for uh, our volunteer and worship leaders, but, but we believe in... in in calling ourselves higher um, and, and calling our volunteers higher because we believe it's, it's worth it, that Jesus is worth it. That's why we want worship to be excellent because Jesus is worth it. If, if worship in the skill department was haphazard and sloppy and we don't care, we didn't practice on our instrument, the tone sounds terrible, you know what that says? We, we don't really care much about the presence of God. We don't really care about playing that. There's no passion there because what we are passionate about, we put our, our hand to and, and do skillfully. So, so we just have these 10 uh, distinctives that we have about uh, our worship department that, that set vision as well as kind of gives some even practicals of, hey, this is what we're going after. And it's broken down kind of into two areas of who we are and then what we're doing. And, uh, you know, these are our distinctives. And maybe you have two, maybe you have 20 or, or five, but I really want to encourage you to have Real clear expectations, something you can give to a volunteer and say, hey, this is what's expected of you if you're a part of our community. The first one, number one, is we are committed to being a voice here at New Life uh, Creative Arts. Number one, we're committed to being a voice. We believe that the Lord has uh, given us this incredible opportunity of leading worship we don't want to just echo what other people have said. We want to bring uh, the, the word of God and what he is saying to the church uh, through us. And if the Lord is speaking to us, then maybe that is something that he wants to impart to the, to the church. And so we have a huge emphasis on just our songwriting. We, we have uh, a huge push to have everyone involved to be writing songs, to be writing lyrics, and be writing music. We're committed to being a voice. Number two is we are committed to the prophetic. Revelation says the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so being committed to the, the prophetic just means we are committed to the testimony of what Jesus is saying. 
And Jesus has a testimony over you, every single church represented here. He is saying something. He has more thoughts toward you personally and corporately than the sands of the sea. And he is ever articulate and he's speaking. We're just committed to listening to the voice of God and speaking that out. Number three, we're committed to the sacred. We're committed to what the Lord has called the church unto. The, 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 the fellowship, the breaking of the bread. We are uh, uh, a congregation. We are worship that are recognizing what the Lord is doing uh, in our midst. And we want to not be arrogant and boast and say we have this new great thing that is beyond, um, you know, what, what the church has done for thousands of years. But we, we, want to do the, we want to do the new thing, but we want to honor what the Lord has called the, the, the church to do. Number four, we're committed to growth. And that growth commitment is not we're committed to doing whatever tricks we can, marketing ploys, just to get numbers up. That's not what, that's not what growth is. I love what, what uh, Vertical said yesterday, that you worry about the depth and then God will worry about the width. So this growth is, a hey, we want to steward the talents we're given. If he gives us two talents, we're going to steward those two talents more and we're going to be ready for, for more. And, and it's also a sign of, of health, healthy things grow. Number five is we're committed to excellence. This is what I was kind of talking about before, but we're committed to excellence because we believe that Jesus is worthy of that. And he, uh, we, excellence and passion go hand in hand. You know, I mean, I, I, I heard a quote once or something along the lines of, you know, uh, you, know you, say, you say unhealthy obsession, I say, uh, I say discipline and passion. Um, and this idea of, you know, why, why care so much about that little thing? Well, I actually believe that when I am up late on a Saturday night working on my plugins and getting tone, that probably no one else but me really hears that subtle little difference of that change, I was worshiping, and the Lord was honored and pleased. And when I bring him something that cost me something, it's beautiful. Whether someone knows it or not, and I'm going to do my part, whether or not it comes across or not, the little and the big things, I'm committed to this excellence. Uh, and then we have what we're doing. Those first ones were who we are. These, the last five are just what we're doing. We're committed to each other's dreams and burdens. I'm going to move through these a little quicker. Number seven, committed. We're committed to building a culture of community. These are, I'm kind of pairing these together. But we believe in community, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, the the good of the iron sharpening iron and, and just the joy of doing life with other people, you know, and, and the bad of just bearing each other's burdens and going through the hard time. I mean, it, it requires heartache, you know, when you invest in people's lives and they go through something challenging, you know, it wears on you, it drains you, but it's so worth it to, to bear each other's burdens and then, and then you know, the, to keep each other accountable and, and to, to build something that we do as a team. And we're just so radically committed to team here. We are committed because we just go farther as a team. You know, if it just turns into the show of the one person, hey, it's their talent, it's their skill, and everyone else just kind of fall in line, sometimes that you can get away with that for a few years. But two things happen. One, you don't get much buy-in from anyone else on the team. And number two, you don't utilize all of those gifts and those strengths. And we are the body. Your worship team is a body. You can't be the arms, the legs, 
you know, the stomach, the head, the neck. You can't be everything. You have to have different elements of, of, of things where, where you have people that help direct the music, where you have people that are skilled in our music. You have people that are great in the community that speak and call other people higher. You have people that think through details and, 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 and organize, and you need to capitalize and use all that. And so that's um, why we're so committed to uh, community. Number eight, we're committed to serving. We're not in this for us, and so some weeks it looks like getting to play the lead line that everyone gets to celebrate. You know, other weeks it might mean just picking up the trash from the stage or, or moving the podium or picking up water bottles, but it's, it's all the same, and we're committed to serving however that looks like. Number nine, we're committed to being the solution. I love the Bill Johnson quote that says, complaining is just uh, misguided intercession such a great quote. We're committed. We're not just going to, hey, this stinks. This is wrong, whatever. We're going to be committed to being the solution. If the Lord actually opened our eyes, if, if, if it was the enemy speaking, then it was going to be obvious. But if it was actually the Lord saying, hey, this is actually broken. You need to fix it. Then he will be faithful to give us the plan, the strategy, the idea to see that through. And so we're committed to, okay, that's a great thought. But let's run that thought to its full conclusion Figure out what the, the root of the problem is, and then let's, how do we come up with a solution and answer? We're committed to being the solution. And then number 10, we're committed to radical God devotion. Committed to radical God devotion. Being worshipers on and off the stage. Being people that host the presence of God on Sunday morning and host the presence of God at home. You know, if we can't lead our families or even ourselves into the presence of God, how in the world can we lead a congregation? The presence of God should be the most familiar, comfortable place. When the Lord comes into a room and moves in power, that should just feel like home. We know what to do here. We've been in this place hundreds of hours before. We know exactly what this feels like. We know how to hear his voice, and we know how to, how to lead people into that. So those are kind of our 10 commitments that we have for our uh, Distinctives. This is, uh, like I said before, this is Jared Henderson at my right. And uh, yes, clap for him. Jared's one of the funniest guys I know. That's not why he's on stage. Um, it would be worth it just for that. Uh, no, but Jared, um, uh, along with Matthew Fountain, who will come up uh, later, really worked to pastor uh, and lead our volunteers and train. Uh, he's also uh, our stud drummer. Um, he has leadership and desperation band. He also does media and video. And, and we have a lot of multi-talented people. Jared is one of those. Um, and, uh, and he just has an amazing ability to take uh, what the Lord has called him to and just as far as levels of excellence and vision and, and be able to bring other people into it. And he just cares about every aspect uh, of what we do in worship. And we're going to kind of transition and focus in on our Sunday morning expression. Uh, and Jared's going to kind of talk us through that. Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, Hi, Jared. Um, so, <laughs> hey. Uh, so, so much of this stuff, and most of this stuff, really kind of leads into our Sunday morning expression of worship. We have other meetings going on, but it all kind of trickles down from this focus on the team that really leads on Sunday mornings, and that spills out into all the other teams around the church, the younger kids that are leading. So, a lot of 
a lot of what we're going to talk about is just how we pull off a Sunday morning on a really practical basis, how we work with our volunteers. We're really volunteer-driven. Uh, none of us are paid musicians here, so nobody is a paid piano player or drummer or guitar player. You, we are volunteer, really, in that sense. Uh, and then most of our team on stage on a Sunday morning is volunteer. So we have, I think, between 40 and 60 musicians that we're working with. Uh, is that right, Matthew? Yeah, so 43 musicians is a lot of people to work with. And so uh, we have some just a lot of systems that are in place to really help us communicate with them, uh, love on them, help communicate skill and growth, as well as what's going on with the plan. And so one of the big things we use is Planning Center. Matthew Valentine is the Planning Center whiz. Uh, yeah, and and yeah, and uh, and and orient, and uh, which makes him just amazing at this, because one of the high values for a big team is communication. So, uh, kind of our standard for scheduling, for instance, is that we schedule three months in advance, or three months at a time. So, like the October schedule is getting ready to go out. That'll be through the end of the year. And that really uh, is one of the ways that we honor our volunteers. There was a time where it was, it, it got a little, Matthew wasn't at the helm, but it got a little bit helter-skelter, and people were hearing two or three days before a Sunday that they needed to play. And that really causes a bunch of problems in people's schedules, as well as it, it sets them up for, for failure with uh, their playing. They don't have time to learn parts, all those kind of things. So we try to really make a push to communicate in advance what's going on, what songs they're going to play. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of people in here use Planning Center, but if you don't use it, it's just a way to communicate the calendar, the songs, the charts, the tempos, who's leading, where people are going to be on stage, what uh, DIs they need for their instruments, how many guitar players are we going to have, how long does the service have to be. Uh, and all that seems like real nitpicky, but again, I think each one of those little steps helps us communicate value to each person in one of those roles. Um, they know that we're thinking about what they're doing and when they're going to do it, and, and it's important to us. Do you have anything on that, Caleb? Yeah, so that's just a huge value for us uh, to communicate ahead of time. Another thing that we do is try to have connection, and this is part of the community piece. Um, with a team of 40 volunteers, you can't be with everybody all the time, but we've set up a bunch of different systems to try to have connection with them throughout the month. So we have personal connection where each staff member is expected, uh, I think it's every other week. Yeah, yeah. Every, we're, we're switching it to every week, yeah. actually, from every other <laughs> yeah. week. And that's, uh, honestly, that's kind of part of something that's always going on is these systems are changing, and we're looking at how they're working. If it's, if it's working well, how can we make it better? If it's not working, how can we make it better? All those kind of things. So little things like that are always changing. We were meeting with people once a month. Seems like we can up it a little bit and have more connection and, and grow the community. So once a week-ish, uh, all of us on the worship department are meeting one-on-one -on -one with a volunteer, whether it's at lunch or coffee or if they can't meet, it's a phone call, but just a way to know what's going on in the lives of our volunteers. Um, and that's really where like so much of the community starts when I think of this one guy on our team, Andy Birchie. Uh, he's just a guy that I've really connected with. We call him Sick Andy, and he's just sick bass player. 
And uh, he's just a guy that, because of that, I've really connected with every Sunday that he plays. I just look forward to it. A guy that normally I would have never gotten to know, but because of this personal connection, uh, we just have a great relationship. And, and we could talk for a long time about how that affects your band and worship. And uh, it's not just, we're not a bunch of session cats up there shredding our parts, you know. Uh, a lot of us are friends. So there's the one-on-one personal connection, and then we have a team night every other month, um, which is where we get the entire team together, all 40 to 60 volunteers, and we provide dinner. We have uh, some fun that happens, like a game or something random, and then one of the team members are going to share so that we can be casting vision on a regular basis. Uh, and one of the things that I've learned recently in the last few years as I've just grown in this is is you can't expect people to know what you're thinking. Um, and so in those team nights, we really let them know what we're thinking. We let them know what the vision is. We, kn- we try to let them know, um, you know, heart behind why we're doing what we're doing and, and all those kind of things. And then a lot of times we'll do worship at those nights or we'll have like a prophetic night where we'll be able to just encourage the team, pray for people who are going through hard times or good times. We have a couple team members right now who are going through just really rough uh, illness. And so we get to connect with them and pray and, and really encourage them in that way. So we've got that every other month. Do you want to say anything about team nights? It's it's just this the a time for us to kind of open up a little bit and just say, hey, this is... This is just what's, you know, what what we're bleeding with right now, uh, and you know sometimes when it's so focused on the the Sunday morning and the set, um, we can kind of get really caught up in in the moment and kind of driving toward the moment that we don't have that time to take a step back and be like, look at what God is doing in our midst right now. Look at what He's done. Let's celebrate, you know, the amazing things that He's done, and then let's recognize what are some of the things that God is doing in our midst and. And then just the ability to be able to worship and sing together where there's no pressure to lead. Um, uh, you know, where there's those moments where you're leading the people. I mean, that's, it takes so much work and effort. And, and it should because it should cost us something. But we need those moments, too, as a team where we can breathe, where no one's thinking about, you know, do they learn their planning center parts. We have one person on a piano and we're just singing because that's, that's what we do as a community, whether we're leading people or not. It's just really, really fun uh, nights that, that we get to just share with with our our volunteers yeah so those nights for us they're quite a bit of work so pulling them off every month just seemed a little bit impossible but we didn't want to go two months without having some kind of broad vision cast Uh, so the months that we don't have a team night we do a team email and in that team email they'll get communication from john or one of us on staff with some vision and heart and then maybe some just uh practical things like a what's going on, like dress code for Sunday mornings, just reminders about those kind of things or uh, showing up on time, those kind of details that aren't as fun but necessary. And that's really just an example. I know a lot of churches do team nights once a month, but that just didn't work for us. So we, we just adapted the idea to what we could pull off for our team as far as budget and manpower and all those kind of things. They go into uh, that decision. We don't have unlimited resources. Um, so those would be the three big connection points that we have. Besides, then, the weekly connection that happens, not with um, 
the entire broad team, but with the specific team members that are going to be playing on a Sunday morning. And this gets us more into the practical like nuts and bolts of how uh, we work with the team to be good uh, musically, technically, with our singing and all that stuff. So once a week, every Thursday night, we have a rehearsal. And in that rehearsal, we're going to run through every single song, usually, unless it's like a song that we just know. You know, if we have a real strong team and the song, the, the team knows the song, we'll maybe skip a song or two. But we, we try to keep that rehearsal from, it starts at 6 o'clock, and I don't think we've gone late yet since we started them, but it goes from 6 to 7.30, and, and uh, which we could talk for a while about. That's another way that we try to honor the team is by sticking to our time commitments. So we don't say we're going to do a 6 to 7.30 rehearsal and then push people till 8 or 8.30 because we didn't get it all done. If we don't get it done by 7.30, we'll still cut the rehearsal off and save things for Sunday morning for the run-through. Um, and it, it's, again, it's just a way to speak to how much we care about them and their time. People don't have unlimited time to spend, as you know. I'm, and uh, the other thing is I know a lot of people here are also volunteers, uh, worship leaders, so you understand what it's like. Uh, so we try to really honor that, but those are great times for community as well because we do a little devotional at the beginning, uh, and you get to just connect with people, and I love these rehearsals. I'm really sad when we have to cancel them. They're not a burden to me at all because I love to play, and also I love the people that I get to play with. So it's another just a great connection point. Um, and with those, we try to get... We're not always consistent with this, but we try to communicate uh, at least two days before that rehearsal which songs we're doing. And that all goes out through the Planning Center invite, which when, if anybody has specific questions about that, you can ask Matthew either at the end of the session or just find him. Um, we try to get those out two days before so people have time to at least be familiar with the songs before they show up to rehearsal. And an expectation that we have is not that you show up to rehearsal and hear the first song, hear the song the first time we're playing it at rehearsal. It's that you've got the song in your head, you're ready to play it as a band. So we're rehearsing together, not learning the song for the first time, and that saves yeah. a lot of time. And the, and it's we're we're really s communicating something very clear in doing that. It's hey, rehearsal is not your personal practice time. Rehearsal is actually more about you listening to the thing cohesively and how can you play your part. And uh, when, when you're coming there and everyone's learning a song, it's just personal practice time. And, and, and you get to Sunday and it's like the electric guitar players are in the same frequency and the bass and drums are in the, the, you know, the bass is on its own pattern, the kick's on its own pattern, the vocals are clashing. Uh, uh, but we really have the expectation, hey, we're going to come and we're going to listen to what everyone's playing. And, and so I might have to change and adapt that, because, but I have a knowledge of the song and the map. Um, I'm able to do that. And so we put the work in, like Matthew um, does an amazing job charting out all of our music. And we do music, uh, the charts, we use the national number system, and we put it in, in a complete map. So we show you the entire arrangement on one piece of paper. So anything from, I mean, if we, if we diamond after the chorus to split bars to if we cut, you know, do a double chorus or anything like that, that's actually already there. So people already have the map in mind. 
And that structure is not, we don't just stick to that rigidly. Lots of times we're like, hey, this course feels awesome. Let's just do this course a couple times. Or, hey, if the Lord speaks, let's go back and do this part again. And we have lots of spontaneity. But to have spontaneity, you actually have to have some backbone and structure because people have to be able to communicate. And, and the thing that kills spontaneity in the prophetic is timidity. If no one knows what the heck's going on, no one's going to step out and be bold. If everyone knows what's happening... Uh, and uh, there's structure and clear communication, then you have a healthiness that allows for the Holy Spirit, when he moves, we can actually facilitate it in spontaneous moments and in structured moments. Yeah. Yes. Caleb's like such a dynamic speaker, just boom, boom, (laughs) and I'm a little more factual. (laughs) (laughs) We make a great team. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Getting into the charts and stuff, that's yeah. really just an important thing that we focused a lot on is, like, how do we just equip the volunteers to do the best that they can do so that, that we're not expecting them to do something that we don't set them up to be able to do. So Nashville number charts, if you don't know what those are, grab one of us, maybe, and we can just start you down the journey of learning Nashville yeah, we numbers. We can show you some, hey, this is what it looks like, and yeah. kind of explain this is how you can do a full arrangement and just in one chart. Yeah, and that's like a kind of a big journey to go on if you don't know it, but it's a, a really worthwhile one. And, and all these things, if you have never done them before, they really just start with a step. And me learning charts, for instance, it was just the step of like trying. Now I can read a Nashville number chart. I'm getting to the point where I can write them. So if any of it feels overwhelming or intimidating, just try to make it as small as that first step. Talking to somebody about it, looking up a YouTube video. That's how I've learned Almost everything I know, YouTube. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I got more out of YouTube than, you know, my college degree. Yeah, same with me. <laughs> uh, where was I? Oh, Nashville number chart. So that's one of the big tools we use. Um, should I get into, like, the BGV gang thing? Because that really is another thing that we've, yeah, we've worked yeah, hard on. Yeah, that together. Um, so we have our like our standard band that's on stage. Usually it's made up of drums, bass, two electrics, any number of acoustic guitars. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's usually only two, two at the max, acoustic guitars. A keyboard player and a piano player, which sometimes the keys and piano are combined into the same person holding on both of those roles, depending on their skill level. Um, so that's kind of our band, but we really have a commitment to not having like just a rock show, a rock band going on on Sunday morning. We are so have a huge emphasis on singing. And in years past, we had a big choir, uh, I think 100-person choir or whatever, that really helped in that. And, that. and that became something that was we couldn't manage it anymore. We didn't have the, the staff or the manpower for it. But we still have such a big emphasis on singing. We wanted to figure out how to make that happen without 100 people. And so we have, like, this gang vocal uh, approach. And if you do recording or anything like that on records, gang vocals is a big thing. And it's you can do gang vocals with, like, four people on records, and you just stack them, and it, it sounds like a crowd. So we've taken the gang vocal approach to our Sunday morning worship. You got your st- We have our standard band. We've got the usually three worship leaders, which we'll talk about the team uh, worship leading thing as well. But... Mixed in with the band are four singers, and there are gang vocalists or background vocalists. I like gang vocals better. I think it's, it's just cooler. Uh, <coughs> but their, their job is to sing, for the most part, melody, 
and then occasionally we get into two parts. Do we ever get into three parts, or is that like every once in a while? Yeah, we hardly ever do three parts as far as harmonies. Um, and we really wanted to figure out a way to communicate all these parts with the team without having to go through every song and, and them yelling across stage over the drums and trying to figure out what they're supposed to be singing and all that stuff. So we created these vocal tracks. Jonathan Moose and Corey Asbury did these. Um, and they're, so for every song we have, we have these vocal tracks that show the background vocalists what parts are available for them to sing. Uh, so there's the guy part, the girl part, what happens on the verse, chorus, bridge, all that stuff. So you don't get the full map of the song. If it's like a verse, chorus, bridge, then you'll hear just one verse, one chorus, one bridge. And, oh, go ahead, Fleming. Yeah, so we've got uh, somebody singing the melody of the song that you hear in the center of the track. Then on the left, you'll hear the next part. On the right, the other part. So up to three parts, max. But it's just the system we developed so that singers, when they're going to sing on a Sunday, and it's not a perfect system, but it's, it's really helped us. Uh, when they're going to sing on a Sunday, uh, attached to the song in Planning Center is a vocal track. They listen to it. They know what they're expected to sing. And then we have a team leader on one of the vocal mics every week who is in charge of hearing all of those parts going on. And if anything is going wrong, correcting that. And background vocalists are communicated with and expected to listen to that leader. They know that they're the ones calling the shots there and that they're to serve that role. And, you know, in some ways for a singer, it can feel lame, I think, to not get to do like a lot of cool parts, just to sing melody. But the approach and like the philosophy of it is that each instrument on stage plays a role. Me on drums, it's not insulting to me that 95% of the song is groove and 5% is fill where all the fills are the, you know, the cool, flashy things. It's not insulting to me. My role is to hold down the groove. This, the, the gang vocals have a very specific role, and that is to encourage congregational singing, not to display amazing technical background vocalist skills. Um, and we, get, we just get caught up sometimes as musicians about what our actual role is. And, and it's really, really the, the broad stroke role of everybody on stage is serving that congregational yes. singing. Yeah. So if you can make that, the, that's the number one point. Yeah. It's just, it's, in this context, it's just worthless to get up there and play cool music. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, uh, and, I mean, we are incredibly blessed at New Life, the building that we get to, to be in part. We're so thankful for. Um, but one of the things we have working against us is in a building like that that's so massive you know, you sing, you can sing out and your voice kind of can disappear and it can be so big you can come in and, you know, for me, some of my favorite worship times, it's like, let's pack 50 people into a living room and grab an acoustic and start singing and the, and the sound of the singing just kind of makes the windows explode and I mean, it just, it just feels incredible and, you know, I just think that's so much what heaven sounds like, it's just this choir of voices just, and so, uh, you know, we really, we really thought, you know, how do we invite the congregation that come into a big room like that, and normally when they come to a, an auditorium like that, they think concert. I come and I sit and I listen and I clap after the song. We're like, no, 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 no. We're not leading you in a concert. We, this is a participatory. We want you to sing with us and lift up our voices. And so we've made a conscious decision to have these, and they're, they're not background, they're gang vocals where they go forward and they, they invite people into the melody. 
And, you know, it's great that you can do all kinds of ornamentation and, and all your vocal runs. And there's moments for that. There, there really is. But people, we want people to be able to identify the melody, find it, and then feel invited. They feel like they're the weirdo if they're not singing, you know. They, not that if they sing out, then everyone's going to be like, who's the weirdo who's singing? Save it for the stage. You know, that they actually feel like... They feel like the weirdo if they're not singing. Like, that's just the sound we hear of vocals and singing. And so if it sounds like a lot of work to put that together, you're right. It was a crazy so amount much of work, so yeah. much work and so many hours. But so worth it if, if our congregation sings more. And if someone who's never sung in church feels more invited, then it's, it's so worth it. Yeah. And, and that's... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't even help it. It's just how I am. Um, we'll talk also about how that affects kind of our mix philosophy as far as the just how we engineer the sound getting out to the people, but that will be for a later thing. Um, but even the mix philosophy just has to do with trying to encourage singing. Um, so we've got our band, we've got our worship leaders, and we've got our gang vocalists. Worship leading now here, we don't do one person leading worship. We have t a team leadership approach, and you've seen it on all the sessions we've done. Multiple people on stage. Most of the time, they're getting songs. Um, the expectation is not that you're going to get a song if you're in the worship leader role, but that you'd be ready to sing one um, and able to. And so with the team leadership philosophy, there's one person that is in charge. There's a worship leader who's making the set list, talking to Pastor Brady, uh, communicating with all the necessary people. He's the he or she is the main worship leader, but it's a team that leads the entire congregation, not just one person. And there's a lot that goes into that philosophy. Um, do you have anything on that? Yeah, I just, I'll bullet point it really quickly. But, I mean, one, the advantage of team, we go farther together. Uh, two, we really uh, train up so many more people. Um, you know, two, we were even talking about it as a team two years ago. Uh, you know, we didn't have many worship leaders that could lead an entire Sunday morning that Pastor Brady felt like he could entrust his Sunday to, which is a huge thing to entrust. And, and he says all the time, he's like, I feel like I trust 10 people to do that. Um, it's because we've, uh, John in this, uh, and Corey kind of in these sacrificial roles have said, hey, I could lead five, six songs, and everyone can be like, man, they're amazing worship leaders, but I'm going to lead two or three songs, and I'm going to let somebody else who probably isn't ready to lead five songs yet lead one song, you know, every month or every couple weeks. Um, and it's really cool to where we have a, a team culture that people don't come up, come to church saying, oh, I wonder who's leading this week because I, want, I won't go to church if it's this person. Or, man, I don't like it when this person leads or whatever. Like, yeah, I, I've never heard a, a, a whiff of that. I mean, everyone comes, and we're engaging and singing together, whether it's John on stage, whether it's not. Um, and it's this great team where there's so much safety where it's like, man, if I miss one Sunday, then everything's going to crash and burn, and no one's going to ever come to church again. And, you know, there's this, this safety. And, no, it doesn't actually all depend on me. We have this as a team, and, man, it, it's, it, it, there's so much more longevity in that. Yeah, and the other thing with the philosophy of those people who end up in those worship leading spots is that John really just appoints those people. Um, and it comes through relationship. It comes through just knowing them. They've usually served around the church for a long time. Um, and there's not this sort of like audition process that happens for those people anymore. We used to do that, but really it's just John picks those people out and, and they're expected to, you know, have that role. 
And same with the BGV or the gang vocal thing is not like a step, stepping stone into worship leading. It's not like if you do the gang vocal thing for a while, six months, then you'll get to to be in the worship leader two spot or something like that. If you're if you're uh, gonna be a, a gang vocalist, that's your role and and own that and do it really good and and just kill it without the expectation that after six months I'll get to be in this spot. Uh, and that's just kind of where we've landed on that. It's it's been really great over the last two years since we kind of started doing that. So the next specific area is uh, the area of the musicians, and, and you've already heard us talk about this a little bit, but we um, put a, a massive emphasis on the fact that they themselves are ministers and Levites. Um, and so we expect our musicians to uh, come and be prepared to know their parts, to be teachable, to be humble, um, and we're looking for musicians that have a spirit that we want to come out uh, on Sunday morning, uh, you know, a teachable, humble. They're worshipers on and off the stage, and we, uh, you know, we, we don't try to hype people with our expression. We don't, you know, we don't, like, we need to run around stage because that'll get people excited, but we give full freedom for, hey, however you want to express your worship to the Lord, um, you have total freedom uh, to express that. Um, but our, our, we, we've really taken time to emphasize the value of our musicians. Um, and uh, just even in, represented in, in Jared and I actually aren't worship leaders, um, but we do a lot of the directing and leading in the worship department. Um, and there's, a, there's, a, uh, there's this subculture I see with musicians where it's just kind of like I show up to church, you know, on Sunday I play, I go home, and it's like, Nobody wants, like, it's like, don't ask, don't tell them, like, what your life is outside of church, you know, like, the worship leader, like, I'm not going to ask you what you did, and don't tell me what you did. I don't want to know, because then, then I'd have to kick you off my team. Uh, and, and there's kind of, you know, the musicians, like, sitting out in the, in the lobby and never listening to the sermon, not coming on the Sundays where, where they're not playing. We don't, we don't allow or have any of that. If you, I mean, the, the Sundays that you're playing, you're going to sit in for the sermon, at least one of the sermons. When you're not playing... Um, you're going to be there attending, and we're going to be doing community together because this is not just your opportunity. I love what uh, uh, Vertical said yesterday. This is not, the, the stage is not your opportunity to fulfill uh, this musical desire that you've never had an outlet for. This is a place for you to lead people into the presence of God. And so expectation for parts being learned, expectation that they are going to listen, that everyone can hear every instrument in their mix, uh, expectation that that um, they're confident enough on their instrument that we can tweak and we can move things around and and change things, and then an expectation that they're living a godly life and that their worship on stage is just an outlet, a reflection of what's what's happening in the secret place. It, and just an encouragement to um, any of you who are working on that kind of thing with your team, that that and John can tell you that the, that was really hard ground to plow with our musicians here, and it's ground that we're still plowing with some musicians that are not there. But it, that culture change has taken a lot of work and a lot of pushing people to grow and pushing people to, for me, for instance, I never wanted to take hold of a microphone and tell people about what we do. It's taken so much growth uh, for me personally to be able to lead in that way. So if that's something you know that you wanna work on with your team, just be encouraged even for us, such hard work to, and such consistency and commitment to it to help 
people grow in that way and to help them understand the culture and why it's valuable. Um, it's not easy to do in, in a culture that really, and it's something that I think we're both passionate about because we love music, but the expectation in our culture is musicians show up with your parts learned, do a great job, and that's it. All the spiritual weight is on the worship pastor. So that that's culture so is so hard to go against because it's really ingrained in what we do. We have like just a bunch of gearheads and, yeah. and technical musicians a lot of times who are awesome, but yeah. don't understand all this stuff that Caleb is talking about. And if, I think if you can find one musician who gets on that train, who's, who's both a nerd and loves Jesus, um, it can really help, <laughs> like a gear nerd, you know, it can really help change that culture. Yeah, we're, we're just screaming the value uh, of what they do over and over again. You are not background. You are not the thing that just needs to happen so the singers happen. The music itself changes the atmosphere. And I, I come to church believing that when I play a melody line, people are going to hear that and they're going to be washed with the presence of Jesus and they're gonna, their hearts are going to be more open to receive the truth of the word that comes come forward. I truly believe that, that I'm bringing a song of deliverance and I'm up there and I'm not thinking, I'm just a keyboard player. I, I call myself a worship leader. I'm leading worship. I'm changing the uh, atmosphere in the room and I'm also, I'm, in scriptures you see Elisha calls a musician and this is the spirit of prophecy came upon Elisha and he prophesied. I believe I'm stirring a prophetic spirit on the worship leader. I believe that when I lean into the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? And my little, it, it might be a tone tweak, it might be a pad layering, it might be a melody line, it might be a rhythm. Uh, that idea will push forward and John or, whoever, or Corey, whoever's leading worship, hears that and the prophetic spirit falls on them. It just maybe as simple as they feel an impression that the Lord is releasing joy this morning. Or they hear a chorus. Or they just say, you know, the Lord is releasing tenderness. Whatever that happens, I feel that leadership. And, and, and Jared, I know, feels the same way on the drums. And we just pump that and scream it over our musicians over and over again. You are worship leaders. What you're playing, there's value to it. Um, you are not just support for the main worship leaders. And, and uh, like Jared said, it's taken a long time, but we've seen the result of people carrying the weight of, of what they do and, and doing it seriously and ministering before the Lord. It's, it's really been cool to see. Yeah, and, and to come back to that verse that you started with, it, it also takes just the marriage of the technical skill yeah. with that because yeah. it's Caleb knows what voicing to play to communicate an emotion. And I know what groove kind of can just, you know, tweak your brain to, to like go in a different direction or those sort of things. So high emphasis on skill and high, high emphasis on character. Um, and we have some core guys who really embody that and, uh, and they're amazing. So the next thing we, uh, we implement a lot here at New Life Worship is, is backing tracks. Um, it's something that we've worked hard to create. Uh, I, I especially encourage you, if you have a smaller team, maybe you aren't able to always have uh, multiple electrics or any electrics or keys or things like that. Um, tracks can be an unbelievable tool to help fill out uh, the sound of what you have, to help give structure, to also help, honestly, it, it can be helpful too, like for like keyboard players or drummers to push them in their, in their skill to, to, to play with other tones and to hear, hey, here's some other sounds uh, we'd like to use. Um, and so we play everything, uh, we play to a metronome, we play to a click, and we use tracks for uh, uh, a lot of things, and, and, and part of it's because we believe in that value 
uh, of music, uh, as well as the excellence of being able to do multiple uh, musical expressions. And then it also, uh, it also gives us an outlet for unique creativity because, you know, we believe that, you know, in the presence of the Lord, that's the place where the ideas come. That's where uh, the Lord speaks. And so we love creativity and sounds. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a huge believer. And so it's something that we've put a lot of work into making a lot of tracks or, or sometimes we, we, we buy them from like multitracks.com or, or, or some other place. Um, but uh, uh, I, I encourage you, if, if you've thought, I don't, I don't want to use tracks because, um, you know, maybe I want to be more spon- uh, spontaneous or maybe it'll be limiting or, 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 or kind of a, th- a thought like that. I, I want to encourage you to just to, to go for it and to, and to try maybe even a few songs with tracks. I think you'll find that it's actually, uh, it can be incredibly liberating and it can, uh, it can, it can bring a, a, a safety to a song when you come in with a great track behind it to where you don't have to spend two hours to kind of fill it out. Like there's a nice backbone. And then later, if you want to cut some things, you can. But I don't know if you want to speak into tracks. Yeah, just when we started doing tracks around here at first, it was met with a little bit of resistance because it felt like it could be rigid and lock us into certain things. So the, the philosophy that we have behind them is that it, it's only there to aid and not to hinder us. So tracks can be ditched at any time if we want to go off the map. Um, the worship leader has total freedom to, to change on the fly, and we just set up systems to be able to ditch a backing track. Um, and even for us, who we have a team of great musicians. As soon as we started using tracks, there was almost just an immediate notch that was stepped up. Because you crank this track up in your ears, and it's f- it's full of things that are perfectly in time, and great tone, and all these things, and it just pulls people in to just a tighter playing and more focus on what they're doing and how it's going to work with what's going on with the track. So, and if tracks are like, if you don't the whole time you've been thinking, what are tracks? Because I, I know it's very foreign at first. Um, if if you can grab me, I'll try to tell you all about it. But if you can't, go to multitracks.com. And they have training videos on there. They have resources where you can run the most basic, simple tracks all the way up to the really complicated Ableton and Pro Tools sessions and all that stuff. And it's what got me into tracks three or four years ago. We did a record where we had to use it to pull off a lot of the parts. And multitracks.com is like what introduced me to that whole world. And it's really cool. And you can do it without hindering free worship. Um, Yeah. Okay, yeah, uh, so we've talked a bunch about just our philosophy of wanting people to sing, and really a lot of what affects that, actually everything, is, th- is the mix. Um, our front house engineer, our main guy's Evan Duran, and he's just brilliant, talented young guy with a great heart, amazing ear. He's, he's just my favorite because he's a drum freak, so he cares a lot about drums, and, and we have a great working relationship with that. Um, but we kind of have this these two philosophies of mix accompaniment accompany, accompaniment that's a hard word we should come up with a different one <laughs> uh, and immersion uh, and you've seen both of these displayed already at conference the accompaniment philosophy is that the music is there to just kind of support the vocals uh, it's kind of like they're together and it really encourages that singing. It's, it's the moments where we end a song and all, you, all we have is pad. We drop the click. Nobody's playing except for pad. And you just hear voices singing. The, the music is accompanying the singing. 
Uh, and so we try to work those moments into our Sundays, and that really helps us get away from like the rock band philosophy, just blast everybody with rock and roll music. The other one is the immersion philosophy, and those are the moments where we're playing, there's actually no singing a lot of times, and it's just music playing over people, or the music is really just like, it's just surrounding, flooding the room, and it's not as much about the singing in those moments. Uh, and so we try to work those in. Most Sundays, actually, we have moments that that reflect both of those. And yeah. and as a musician who loves loud, forceful music, some of the most powerful moments that I get to have are when I'm not playing and thousands of people are singing. It's yeah. it's really special, really incredible. And that really works. You know, there's so many different expectations out there in the crowd, from young people who like the loud music to, to older people who like hymns. Um, you get to kind of meet both of those yeah. needs and, again, encourage singing, which is, is where it's so powerful. And, uh, and uh, hey, if the team who wants to, that's answering questions can come on up while I kind of hit this last point with the mix. Uh, Pastor Brady has been amazingly uh, gracious with the freedom he gives us within the mix. Um, that we have, and he's also done a great job. He's had conversations with the church about it and allowed them to ask questions and why do we run at the volume we do, and we do maybe run it louder than, than some other churches. But um, uh, for us, I mean, we believe in, in the volume of it, not in the sense of just loud music rocks and therefore we have loud music, but I think of it in the, there's a John Piper quote that says, people don't go to the Grand Canyon to feel like they're huge and majestic and special. They go to the Grand Canyon because they feel small. They feel, I'm at the edge of something that's so much greater than me. And there's a, there's a reason why uh, dynamics unlock our heart in a unique way. Like, you know, uh, just a single piano playing to an entire symphony playing of the entire frequency range utilized from the bass to the high end. And when, when we are in this uh, immersion atmosphere where the music is all around us and it's playing and it's huge there's 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 a moment that helps us realize like man i am i am not super significant in and of myself god you are great you are majestic and it helps us worship a majestic and glorious god um because uh, because the the music and the sound actually not just unlocks our emotions but it actually uh, inspires and, and and actually speaks to us in and of itself and so we we unapologetically, uh, w you know, we don't run our sound in the way that hurts people's uh, ears, hopefully. Um, and we don't try to, uh, you know, we, we try to do a comfortable mix. But at the same time, we say, hey, we, we believe we worship a majestic God. And we're going to have, instead of one person on acoustic, we're going to have a full team to express, to utilize all the frequency ranges, all of the sounds, all of the colors to show how majestic uh, and glorious God is. Um, sweet. Let's introduce, uh, Jared, why don't you introduce these, okay. these guys. We'll kind of go down real quick. And then if you have questions, you just go ahead and shout it out. We'll spend the next uh, 15 to 20 minutes uh, answering any questions you have uh, in any yeah. of these specific areas. Yeah. On the far right is Kevin Morehouse, technical director. Kevin, you've been here for 21 years. And Kevin's awesome, hardworking, We've had some awesome moments of like figuring out stuff together. It's really bonded us. I love it. And uh, it's so important to really work, like to l just learn about all the different things that are going on on your team. It really gives you a value 
for everything. Like I think about when I'm playing drums on a Sunday morning, I'm really aware of all the different things that are happening on this stage. So I'm not just thinking like, let's just keep worshiping. Like I know when we have only this much time left and why it's important for me to help the band end on time. Side note. Uh, Jonathan Moose is a worship leader. He is, he's in charge of our studio where we do all of our demos. Um, he does a ton of the backing tracks, made the vocal, all the vocal tracks, painstakingly. <laughs> and he plays every instrument. Um, and you'll see him tonight leading worship. Scott LeBeau, our lighting director, has a big job to light our huge room and does a great job. Evan Duran, I talked a little bit about, is our uh, A1 audio engineer, and he's awesome also. D has a huge job with that room, and he's done an amazing job with a room that's really set up poorly for sound, uh, terribly. And he's, he's done a, a really awesome job with it. It worked wonders. And then on the other bookend is Matthew Valentine, who you've been here for 21 years also. And Matthew is uh, our band director. He plays bass. He leads worship. He's produced records here. He's done everything. It's cool to have just these two guys on the ends who have been so faithful for so many years. And so everybody on the stage has, there's a lot of knowledge up here, and we all work together to pull Sundays off. We've had amazing triumphs and victories. We've had times where it's that, and we've worked through it, and... And so feel free to ask any questions from any of these guys who have just expertise on these areas. I'll run around with the microphone. Go for it. Yeah, I'll let Matthew talk about it. I would love to say that we have the resources and the time to give the lessons that might be needed to help that context. Um, but we don't. Um, I, I do think that is a great thing to be able to do. If you're, I, I know churches that do that. They actually... Um, one in particular I'm thinking of, they actually have on retainer a number of uh, instructors who will help in that process. Um, we aren't at that point yet. Um, but what we do is, uh, as uh, Jared and Caleb talked about, um, we, we put a high standard for learning the parts um, with the proper tones. And so we'll all give as much direction as I can to help them do that, but, but I'm not able to to give lessons in, in doing that. So in, in the farthest I'm able to go at this point is to give more direction and, and invite them to come back again and let me hear them again. That's kind of how we're doing it right now, though it's not perfect. And then if we have anybody who's struggling, like if we kind of learn, oh, they have these bad habits, you know, that we're learning. Um, we have a couple ways of figuring, out, figuring that out and then communicating with them about it. I don't know if you want to talk about that, Matthew. You're talking about the live? The yeah, we have the live stream, and then just the kind of the philosophy of being really honest about it. Oh, okay. And just calling yeah, it so out. That is a whole other facet to this, is just being honest. The Vertical um, was talking about this yesterday. I love what they said. We keep referencing them. Um, but speaking the truth in love, um, through the 21 years I've been here, I've had many opportunities to have very difficult conversations with people, and what I have learned is if you are um, building up that emotional bank account relationship, when there's relationship there, then I have the license, we have the license to speak into their playing and what they're doing, our volunteers, and so uh, we try to do a great job with that. Uh, we're not perfect, 
None of us are. We know that. But we are honest. And for me, I found that the direct approach is the best approach. I've, I've done the beating around the bush. It, it just never seems to work well. It's better just to, in love, you know, speak it to them and then kind of unpack it from there. And if the relationship is, is there and it's being built um, between the leaders and the, and the volunteers, uh, then it's a lot easier to have that. But you have to kind of, it's hard to go into that if you haven't been doing it. Um, it's easier to build the team with that as a foundational piece. Um, if you don't, it, it's not impossible to build in. It just takes more time um, because people may have the expectation that, oh, once I'm in, I'm in. That's end of story. I do what I do, and you're lucky to have me kind of a thing. And uh, that's an exaggeration, but you, you get the point. So that, that's one side of it. The other side goes hand in hand that Hendy's talking about is um, the live stream. Now we're, we're actually doing a separate mix for our live stream uh, audience, and that includes also uh, tracking um, the services. Um, we're doing it multi-track, multi but then Kevin is capturing it over on his end, and that's the piece that Kevin captures that comes fed from us is what we actually use, and we send it out to the worship team each week. Hendy will send it out to them, and so a lot of self-critique goes on. That's very healthy. Um, people listening uh, to themselves, uh, I, I know myself, I'll, I'll come through a service and think, wow, I did a great job. Then I'll get the link, and I'll listen to it, and I'll go, oh, why did I do that? That, that didn't sound as good as I remembered it. And so then I'm policing myself, and that, that's great. That takes away some of the work that you have to do. Um, and then you can fill in for help the people who didn't notice what they did wrong on the link. But the link is a, a great start to that. You don't have to have a multi-track setup to do anything like that. If you can just take a feed off your mixing board, it might not be mixed the way you want it for a CD or your computer speakers, but you can still hear pretty good. Evan could speak more to that. Yeah, I was just going to say that's one of the greatest tools to grow is to actually hear yourself play back. So even if you can get just a rough board mix and listen through it, it's really helpful. It will be embarrassing. Um, but, you know, if it's, if, it's sent, if it's in a safe environment, the embarrassment can help you grow. It's really helped me grow. Oh, and one more thing back to your question in the back is um, being honest up front in the audition process helps that. Um, I'm always clear that they know that it's the audition is not a formality. In some churches, I've been in some churches where it was a formality. Everybody really got in. Um, and, and that could be the case. I, I remember being in a church. We didn't have anybody. So I was, <laughs> I was letting people, if they could hack it, I, I was letting them in. But letting them know the process up front, saying that, you know, we do, we do have a certain standard that we're trying to meet here. Uh, we're going to be honest with you on the spot. We're not going to send you a letter that says you got in or you didn't get in. And we're not going to that, – that's the other part of it is when we're auditioning people, we're not having the whole crowd of auditionees in there with them. Because then you pretty much have to say, hey, great job. We'll get back to you. But you bring them in one at a time. And so they don't have an audience. And then you sit down with them after you hear them play. And then you can be very honest with them. But you let them know beforehand in a personal interview, which happens at a separate time, um, you let them know what the process will be, specifically what we're looking for in whatever instrument or vocal part they're doing. So I think that helps as well.
Awesome. Another question. Let's go here. Yeah, sorry, you had your hand up first. Fastest off the draw. That's nice. So um, what we run uh, on an average is about 92 decibels A-weighted. And so what A-weighted measures is measures your damaging or hurtful frequencies. Um, maximum on a Sunday morning, our limit is like 95. Now, I say our average is 92 because there's going to be some moments where if it's a lower song or beginning or bridge or anything, you're running 88 decibels. The whole service isn't at 95. So that's what the average is. But if it's a big song that the congregation really knows well, um, and I can hear them singing loud, and they're really into it, and you can just, what I'll do is I'll boost it up, but it won't go above that 95 decibel level. Now, this morning was averaging a little bit more around 94. Um, with conferences, we raise it up a little bit, but we're still well within any type of, we're way under any type of point where damage would occur to hearing. So, yeah. Good. Another question. Another question. Big picture. Um, what we do is we, we do try to keep things a little bit like what they talked about early on, and that is we try to be planned. We try to be prepared. And we've gotten to this place where we've realized that by preparing, by getting all our information in ahead of time, what it does is it allows to do what Caleb was talking about, and that is be available for the changes that happen. And uh, what we've done in the past is we've made ourselves available for changes. But we've honestly put ourselves at risk because we made those changes, but we compromised in other areas to make that happen. So honestly, what we've done is a better job of preparing, getting information all the way from Pastor Brady and working with him and our speakers and getting all that information ahead of time, uh, preparing what we're going to do lighting-wise, you know, Scott will work uh, during rehearsals, making sure that he's prepared for those rehearsals. Something we've done just recently is we've made it so that uh, we get all this information. We, we set ourselves a deadline. So on Thursdays, we get all our information in by noon. We prepare it. And we actually have a technical rehearsal at the end of the day, so 4 o'clock on Thursdays. Then that evening, then we have our our band rehearsal. And so when we get together on Sunday, it's it's been worked out. It's not just happening on by accident. And so then when the spirit moves and things happen, we're really prepared and we can we, we're really available to do and flow in any direction we want. If Pastor Brady wants to go this a certain way, we're there. If 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 John feels led to to change things up, he can really work with Scott and make those changes. If things come up, and that does happen. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like everything's so prepared and so tight. But when it does happen, it just smoothly happens. We, we work together, you know, like Jared said, as a great team. And so basically we work with each other, we know each other, and we can make any of those type of things happen. 
hopefully that answers what your question. Kevin just served so well doing that too, to be able to handle the last minute, but to be fully prepared and ready. So it's awesome. Yes, question. Um, you have a lot of musicians, and some of them maybe have been playing for years but are used to looking at a chart. Do you guys have, when you send your planning stuff out, are your musicians expected to come with music memorized, or how do you guys work that out? Do you learn songs without charts so that you're, there's a learning curve there? Or how do you move musicians who have played for years relying on those charts to a place of freedom and not having that barrier in front of them of a stand or charts to get that freedom in that worship time? Yeah, I mean, the, I think the, the expectancy is by Sunday morning that, that we are at the, that place as musicians where we're not slaving over the chart, you know what I mean? Like, uh, we can't engage, you know, in worship or we can't even engage in, you know, playing our instrument because we're so just like, gosh, I, I need to look at the chart. Like, we, we try and make it so that that is not there by Sunday. So that's what would happen in Thursday rehearsal is that we would go through, um, you know, we would get the set list out, and then you're expected to have time on your own to learn what you're doing, and then Thursday, you can totally slave over the chart, but by Sunday, I think the expectancy is that we would um, not have to do that, and so we, we do the, or we use the Nashville number system, um, so we used to just do, uh, we've always done band charts, right, Matthew? Uh, we've always done band charts, and I think they've probably already talked about this, but band charts is, is just an actual roadmap from, you know, start to finish of what's going to happen. You know what I mean? Even if that's instead of just the typical CCLI chart, which is just lyrics and chords. So we switched over to the Nashville system, which is numbers instead of letters. <laughs> the numbers represent the letters. Um, and so... Yeah, but alphabet <laughs> numbers is harder, you know. Uh, so yeah, we we do that, and so by Sunday morning, you know, we're we're not focusing on that chart. We've put the preparation in beforehand, both personally at home and as a group on Thursday. Yeah, one of the things is that there's a no music stand policy on Sunday mornings, and that's the quickest way to get people to not look at music stands. Uh, I don't know when that transition happened. Uh, for us now, it's easy because that's the expectation. If you're, yeah, yeah. Was there a point where you had to do that, Flinny? Unless you're a piano player and then you have a music stand and you can cheat like Caleb. <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest transition happened with me. Um, there was a service, so this was uh, pre-Pastor Brady, um, but there was a service where I, I used to be the, the keyboard player here. And I had lots of charts on the piano. We had an actual grand piano back then and the synthesizer. And then I had a whole book of charts, like a three-ring binder thing. And the worship leader wanted to go a different direction. And so with my right hand, I'm trying to play and go through there and get this chart, open the three-ring thing, because it was too heavy for me. It was really heavy. And uh, everything fell off in the middle of the service. And the pastor called me into his office. Um, that was back when we had Mondays off, so Tuesday, and said, you took a service from a 10 down to a 7. 
Well, I don't know if that was the best way to handle that because it devastated me. But I decided I was going to memorize music. And so I was really the first, probably the, maybe the second band director here at this church. And I just used myself to implement it. And so I just started having people memorize it. But the, the number, the intervals, the he's talking about the numbers. You're asking about freedom. How do you help them have freedom? That there's freedom in the numbers. Um, when you when you're knowing the the intervals for each key, then it's it's a lot easier. Then you start to see that worship music it, it, it's very much alike. The song, you know, unless you're doing a very diverse number of styles, um, like what we do, the the songs are very similar. You know, you've heard there's what is it? There's no money past the third fret or the fifth fret. I can't remember, but it's pretty simple. You know, when you see that and you're looking at it from numbers, if, so if you can help them learn that, we teach this in the school of worship under Caleb, and uh, it, it's very freeing. That's where the, the freedom comes, when they start to think that way and transition over. I know I had to do it because I realized I was being told, well, after that fiasco, I had to memorize like 60 songs. That's not an exaggeration. It was real hard. It wasn't, wasn't until I picked up the numbers that I thought, oh, now I can do this. It's, it's actually doable. So that's, that's kind of the transition for us. I think because of what happened to me, it was very easy for me to require other people to do that. I remember just saying, you know, what's your favorite concert? Um, and they'd, they'd tell me what their favorite concert was, wh whatever band it was. And I said, well, did you see music stands up there? Well, no. Well, then why would we have to have music? Why wouldn't we put in the work to not have music stands when we're leading people to the feet of Jesus? I want nothing in the way. And when we're sitting there staring at that the whole time, we're not very inspiring to watch as worship leaders. These guys eloquently said we're all worship leaders, whether we're vocally leading or not. And if, if we have that in front of us and we're slaving over it, as they said, um, I don't think that's very inspiring. The other thing is we, as a team, can't get a temperature on what's going on in the room. And that can determine how dynamically, how we actually approach what we're doing. So, I mean, there's a lot more to it. I don't want to take any more time, but that, that's it. Awesome. That's all the time we have for today. But these guys are actually, we're going to all hang out over here for the next uh, 10 minutes or so before we transition. If you have a question for any of these guys, they're all uh, amazing. Um, they can answer those questions. Also, I want to highlight over here is Yuka. Yuka, go ahead and raise your hand. Wave at us. Uh, Yuka does worship consultation. Uh, he's, he, uh, he mixes for us. He's a stud keys player. Um, he's been involved in some amazing worship projects, and he does a phenomenal job coaching worship teams, a lot of times transitioning into maybe some of the stuff we were talking about. He has a booth out in the foyer I want to encourage you guys uh, to check out. I just want to pray for you, too, just uh, as we close. Father, I thank you just for this room of worship leaders, for, of worshipers, God. I thank you for the amount of light they lead people into. And, Father, how your name is made great and glorified and known because of our worship. God, I ask that you would strengthen them, bless them, encourage them. I ask that they would go home feeling filled. I ask that they would come with new songs, new ideas. Father, strength and courage to continue fighting the fight and running the race. In your name, amen. Amen. amen.